0: I don't know if I've had a chance to meet you. My name is Jessica and I am Trey's wife. We have three crazy little boys that you've probably seen running through the foyer. They're a mess, they're hot mess. But I'm Jessica, I would love to meet you after this experience if I haven't met you already. And I wanna take a moment to welcome all of our online guests. Welcome, we're excited you're here. can we give it up for our online fam? And in the room, if this is, Your first, second, I don't know, third time, you're catching us just at the right time because we just started a new series last week called Kings and Queens. And I personally love this because I'm a geek and I like all the Old Testament stuff. But Pastor Tim talked about how, this is what I loved a little bit more than all the history stuff, is that he told us that we're all royalty, right? I mean, I left my crown and my cape backstage, but he said we're all royalty because... We make decisions for ourselves. I am Queen Jessica because I am the queen of my kingdom. I make decisions for me. I make decisions for all my constituents, which are my kids, my husband, all the people around me, right? So we're all making decisions for those around us. And we get to do a deep dive into the Old Testament to kind of look into their stories and discover really not so much the good that they did, but learning from their mistakes because they made a lot of mistakes. I feel like this happened to me as a kid. I mean, I was the oldest of three. I feel like my brothers got to watch me make all the bad mistakes so they knew what not to do, right? Does anybody Or a parent, my oldest kid, don't you feel so sorry for those oldest kids because you try all your parenting tactics on them before you actually learn what to do by your third or fourth kid? So we look into the Old Testament and see what not to do. So today we're going to be jumping in to the Old Testament. But here's the crazy thing is we have a really unique perspective. Because we can look at this Bible, this book, and we can see people's story from beginning, making all the decisions, whatever, and then the end. And we can see their whole lifespan and we can look at them and be like... I wouldn't have done that. That was a really bad choice. Why did you do that? We can look in the story and almost speak to them saying, why did you make that choice? And the funny thing is, is that we're kind of professionals in doing this in other people's lives too. I don't know if you're like this, but I can catch myself looking at someone else and being like, I would not do that. Or like someone else's parenting, like, oh my gosh, I would never have stale chicken nuggets or french fries in the backseat of my car. (laughs) Not really, because that's what happens to me all the time. Or we can look at, I mean, if you're maybe the older generation, you can look at us parents today and be like, oh my gosh, you cannot be their friend. You have to be their parent. You don't know what you're doing. I would never have parented like that. We do this all the time. We look at people's social media posts and be like, oh my gosh, they are so crazy. I would never think like that. Or like if you're a dad and you're like look, coaching someone's baseball team and you're looking at the other coach and being like, did you see how he's coaching that baseball team? That baseball team is going to stink this year. We're like, did you see that DIY shed he built in his backyard? I would never put that on my property. We're so good at looking at other people's decisions and saying like, I would never do that. Why is that? Why do we look at other people's lives and think that we do it better? I propose to say that because we think we're right and we're never wrong. Do you think you're always right? I'm always right, for sure. I mean, like, backseat driver, my husband in the seat going, oh, I would have been parked like that. Be quiet. I'm right. And then get out and see, like, I'm over the line. Oops. We think we're always right. We think we do life the best way. We think that nobody else could do it like we could. Why do we do that? We don't ever want to be wrong. Because to be wrong makes us look weak, makes us have, like, be disrespected. I don't ever want to be wrong. That's one thing in life that I don't want is to be wrong. So we always want to be right. But I hope I'm getting wiser the older I get because I was thinking about this the other day. Thinking, what? well, if I think I'm always right. And they're wrong, and they're wrong, and they're wrong, and they're wrong, and they're wrong. But they're on the other side, and they're looking at my life and saying, She's wrong, I'm right. Then who's really right? Does anybody ever get lost in this train of thought? Am I confusing anybody? When we look at other people's lives and say, You're wrong, I'm right, but they're on the other side saying, No, you're wrong, I'm right. So who's really right? That's my question. Who's really right? And sometimes I start to think maybe, maybe we're all a little wrong. No, <laughs> not me, not me, I'm always right. Maybe you're a little wrong. Maybe we are all a little wrong. Maybe we are a little blinded to the things that we wanna think that we're right in. But here's the question, because I'm diving into this, I'm thinking through this, like they think I'm right and right but wrong. Bull what would it actually take for me to get an honest look into the situation? What would it take for me to get a bird's eye view, look into who's actually right? I mean, if if they say I'm wrong and they say I'm wrong, then who's actually right? And so we're gonna dive into a story in the Old Testament of this king named Rehoboam. Say, "Rehoboam." Rehoboam. Yes, you can roll your R's. Rehoboam was an itty bitty king not like size or stature or age. I call him an itty-bitty king because he got about this much airtime in the Old Testament. Now, let's turn our Bibles or devices to Second Chronicles chapter 10. I don't know where that is either. Just turn to your neighbor and ask because it's in the Old Testament somewhere. I mean, who reads out of Second Chronicles? Turn your table contents. I don't know. It's in the Old Testament. But while you're turning there, I'm going to kind of give you a little recap of where we've been since we just started last week. So, Pastor Tim last week talked about King David. We've all heard of King David. I mean, like, even outside of Christianity, he was one of Israel's great kings. So, King David was anointed king. He had to wait years and years and years and years to actually take the throne. And in those years... God put him in a waiting room, right? That's what Pastor Tim talked about last week. If you didn't hear that message, you need to go back. Because in that waiting room, God was developing David's character. God was building for him. At a certain time, he was going to be sitting on that throne. And in that waiting room, God was making David who he wanted him to be. So then David came up and rose up to be king, and he had a great kingdom. I mean, he he enlarged The kingdom, he did great. He was very successful. He made like a few bad decisions, but he made mostly good ones. And then after David died, well, King Solomon came up. King Solomon was King David's son. King Solomon, you've probably heard of him before too. He was a really lucky guy because God said, Solomon, before you become king, what do you want? I want God to ask me that question. What would you like? Solomon said, Give me wisdom. That seems pretty wise. So God gave Solomon wisdom, and in the wisdom, Solomon became really wealthy. He had lot of lots of wives. I wouldn't recommend that. But he grew a successful kingdom. He, had, he built the temple of God. It was laid with gold everywhere. His throne was laid with gold. His armies had gold shields on the front line. I mean, like this king really had it all. He had queens and kings coming to him and asking him for advice. I mean, he was just had it all. And so then we get Rehoboam. Rehoboam was Solomon's first son. And Rehoboam was about to become King because Solomon had died, and so he went to this city called Shechem. Can you say Shechem? Shechem. So he went to Shechem, and on that day it was coronation day. Anybody know that reference? Frozen. It's coronation day. I have kids. This is just awesome. Okay, so it was coronation day, and Rehoboam was about to get that crown on his head. And it finally happens. All the Israelites are there. They're like, yes, new king, new you know empire, new dynasty, new rules, new government. And they're real excited. And so they crown him as a king. And right as he becomes king, they're like, okay, we have something that we want to change. That was fast, right? And in, in Chronicles... Chapter 10, verse 4, we find that their request was, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Sounds simple enough, right? So they said, listen, Rehoboam, your dad, your dad's taxes were way too high. Slash them. Your dad's gas prices were way too high. Get rid of them. He said, your dad put us through so much physical labor that they broke their backs. Please do something about it. This was their request. So Rehoboam, in his wisdom, his kingly wisdom, said, okay, give me three days. How many people know that it's wise to take some time before a big decision? I feel like my parents always said, just sleep on it. That's a good rule of thumb, okay? So he said, give me three days and then come back and I'll tell you what I decide. So they go away, and he gets up on day one, and he's like, what should I do? Hmm, I should probably like ask for advice, very wise, again. So he's like, but who should I ask advice from? Oh, my, my dad had advisors that helped him grow his kingdom. I'm gonna go over to them, okay. So he's like, hello, sirs. Um, Israel is asking me to like lighten their load and to do something about it. What do you think I should do? And they said, Well, Rehoboam, if you want them to serve you, then you need to serve them and be kind to them. Okay. All right. So he went to another group of guys for advice. And he came over here. This is his graduating class, class of 900 BC. And he's like, Guys. Okay, you've seen me grow up. You see what my dad's done. So like, what do you think I should do? Do you think I should like lighten their load like they're asking? And they're like, bro, no, you can't do that. You're going to look weak sauce. You got you to bolster up and say, I'm going to be harder on you. Okay, so Rehoboam's got these two pieces of advice. What does he choose? And we find that in 2 Chronicles, verse 12. It says, Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam, as the king had said, come back to me in three days. The king answered them harshly, Uh uh-oh. Rejecting the advice of the elders, he followed the advice of the young men and said, my father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Oh, I mean that wasn't the choice that I would have chose. What about you? No. This is like one of those instances we were talking about earlier. It can be so easy for us to see someone else's mistakes and say, I would not have done that. And Rehoboam actually finds himself in an echo chamber. Anybody ever heard of the term echo chamber? We got that. I mean, that word is coming, I mean, real full force right now because we live in echo chambers as well. An echo chamber is simply just an environment that's around us that reinforces our ideas, our beliefs, our values, and says that we're right. It's like we take uh, all of the things around us and we build our case around us and we say, see, I'm right. And then we get caught in this echo chamber and things are just bouncing off the walls and it's all just the same opinion. We find ourselves in these kinds of situations all the time. And we don't, I mean, we don't really have to try hard in doing it. And Rehoboam didn't either because he rejected the advice of the elders and then he walked to people to hear what he wanted to hear. How many of us do that? We hear what we want to hear, whether we try to or not. And listen, in today's world, we don't have to try very hard because we have something called algorithms We can like or dislike someone's status. We can, our search history, the people that we're friends with, the things that we buy, they're all collected and it makes this algorithm and it makes the internet push all these news articles, advice, friends. Hey, you should be friends with this person. You should read this thing. You should take this into consideration. We don't have to try very hard because the internet does it for us. All while rejecting everything else of the differing view. And this can be really dangerous because if we're standing in an echo chamber, we can get so caught up in what's going on in our echo chamber that we have no clue what's going on outside of it. A differing view. And maybe that differing view is something that we need to hear. Maybe that differing view could save us from a bad decision so Rehoboam, he caught himself in, in an echo chamber and he was deceived. And deception is really dangerous because we can create this, this fantasy in our minds that everybody else around is wrong and I'm right. But I would say this, I think even more than just deception, I think the greatest form of deception is self-deception. That's a scary place to be because how do I know if I'm really deceived? How do I know that it's me? I mean, deception is just a really scary thing in general. I mean, like, I'm the queen of Jessica. I make decisions for me, and I think I'm right, and everybody else is wrong. But like I said, what would it take for us to actually see the right perspective? And I feel like we're all probably a little bit more self-deceived than we think we are. And I really experienced this a few years ago. Um, My husband and I are from Texas. And we start, like as we dated and we got married, we helped build this church and start it. And, uh, and it became to like where both of us were working on staff and like we made friends. I mean, it was just a really, really great time in life. I mean, we had couple friends. Can anybody relate to this? Like where the guy gets along with the guy and the girl gets along with the girl, but the girl also gets along with the other guy and the guy gets along with the girl. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? yeah, because that chemistry has to be there for you to make like couple friends as a couple. So we were making those friends. We were joining circles. We were growing in our faith. I mean, like it was just a really beautiful time in life. And I mean, like our church was awesome. We did church right and everything. So, but what I started to notice was I started looking at the way other people did things and I'm like, that's wrong. Y'all, y'all are doing it way wrong. Like. The pipe organ, okay, 1800s. Or like the choir robes. Well, why don't you just come to my church because I can wear whatever I want. I can wear my holy jeans because I am holy. Or like the hymnals, like, oh my gosh, so stiff. Why don't you come to our church we play rock music? And so all the while, not intentionally, I was thinking that everybody else, the way that everybody else did church was wrong and the way I did it was right. And in hindsight, I regret that. I really regret it. I regret it because I cut so many people out. I regret it because I started judging the way that people did churches, church, and I thought the only way, the right way to do it, the God's way of doing it was my way. And I regret that because that's not really Christ-like. The way that I started viewing people was so judgmental and we can get into this hamster wheel so often. And I I regret doing that because then when I went into churches, like my husband started leading leading worship in a lot of different churches and we visited churches, it's like, oh wow, these hymns, like the verses are so rich and so deep and have this meaning and the tradition behind them that's really, really beautiful. Or, wow, a stained glass window, like in the, the stories it depicts, like that's so rich and wow, people can worship God like this. But I had totally rejected it because I thought that way was wrong. I thought that nobody could worship God like that. So I regret it. And I think that all of us experience regret to some extent. I mean, have, have you ever regretted a decision that you've made? I'm sure that we all have. I mean, We can regret things all the time like I regret being in the relationship a year too long or I regret parenting that way because that way was so shameful and it wasn't very it wasn't very grace based. So I regret that I just parented like that because that wasn't a very good picture of who God is or I regret spending my money like that because I wanted to be a certain person in in my eyes and people's eyes that I look back and I wonder, could that regret have been an indication that I was a little deceived going into that decision? See, because I think that regret is a symptom or an indicator of self-deception, when we feel regret, could it be that we were a little deceived on the front of the decision that we made? And so I think that we all have experienced regret before. And This doesn't mean that every regret you have is because you were deceived, but it's a good question to ask. And so I think that we, it would be really great for us to have Ray Bohm come up here if we could. And sit him down on a chair and say, Ray Boehm, Uh what's your greatest regret? And I'm speculating, but I'm thinking, so Rehoboam kind of followed David. He followed Solomon, both very successful. If I were him, I would want to look powerful, look like I knew what I was doing, continue to grow the kingdom. But I think if we were to ask him, what was your greatest regret? He would have said, the decision I made to be harder on the Israelites. Because if we read on, we find that that decision that he made actually tore all of Israel in two. I mean, Israel was made up of 12 tribes. And Rehoboam, after he made this choice, 10 tribes, that's a big chunk, 10 tribes of Israel said, peace out. And then Rehoboam only ended up with two. I think he would have sat here saying, my biggest regret was tearing God's nation in half. Could it be that Rehoboam was deceived on the front end of that decision? Could it be that he was hearing what he wanted to hear to make him look a certain way before making that decision? I think that we all experience regret and it can be a good indicator of our self Deception And maybe it was Rehoboam's desires that put him in that position. James, the half-brother of Jesus, actually talks a lot about deception and desires. If you turn into James in chapter 1, if you want more on self-deception and desires, go read James. It's fire, okay? He said in um, chapter 1, verse 14, he says, But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their what? Own. Evil desire and enticed own self. Wasn't anybody else's fault. Rehoboam was over here getting advice, which is great. Don't hear me say don't collect advice because that is wise. But we have to be careful that we're not getting lost in an echo chamber when we seek advice. But Rehoboam's desires were dragging him away, his own desires. It wasn't his friend's fault, it was it was ultimately his decision. And then after that verse, it goes on to say that our desires give way to sin. They birth sin and then sin can lead to death. And what we need to learn from that is that our, our desires can lead us to sin. This is why it's our hearts can be so deceiving because our hearts are the factory of our desires, the factory of our feelings. And those are all God-given, but they can be deceiving. Jeremiah, the prophet in the Old Testament said, Our hearts are deceptive above all else who can know them. This is why we can feel like we're making a good decision and still make a wrong one. Because our desires lead us away. Our desires can deceive us. And this is the danger of self-deception. We can be blinded because our desires will blind us. So great, like I just sat here and told you, hey, we're all deceived what do you do now? Because I was asking myself the same question. I mean, I think, okay, so if I am wrong, and if I might be a little bit wrong, how can I actually protect me from myself? If I'm my own worst enemy, how do I really protect me from me? You know what I'm saying? Like, how do I know that the next time I go into a confrontation, that I can have the posture of like, okay, maybe I'm a little wrong. And I think that we can get the answer from actually Rehoboam's grandpa, David. David, he was a great king, like I said, but he had some bad decisions. I mean, he committed adultery and then murder right after that. And he had someone come up to tell him, hey, David, that wasn't a good idea. And I would imagine that David could have been like, yeah, it is, because I'm king. I can make decisions for myself. But instead, one of the reasons that David was such a great king is because instead of saying, nah, it was fine, he said, oh, my goodness, you're right. And in Psalm 139, it's recorded, search me and know me, test me and know where I'm wrong, God. And he, he tells God that. And I think that that's really smart for us to pick up that and make it our prayer. Search me, know me, test me, see where I'm wrong. Show me my hidden ways because God, I'm blinded. I need you to show me. This is a a prayer that we can say as we walk out today. It's a prayer that we can pray in the mornings. It's a prayer we can pray before we go into confrontation. It's a prayer we we can pray when we're in tension with our spouse instead of jumping the gun and thinking you're wrong and I'm right search me, we can say, God, search me, know me, test me, show me where I'm wrong, show me where I'm blinded. And the end of the verse says, and lead me into the way of everlasting. Lead me in your ways. It's a great prayer to pray. I would encourage you to try it. And listen, if you ask God to search, you you better be ready for him to show you things. And not in a bad way, because God doesn't reveal these things in condemnation. God reveals these things with conviction and with his love because there's a verse that says, his kindness leads us to repentance. So if you pray that prayer, he will reveal to you, but you gotta be ready. You gotta be ready to see where you're blinded and see where you're wrong. And so if I'm thinking, I wanna pray, search me, like how do I really see? Like if God brings up some things How do I really know it's him and not me? I think the second phase to that is asking yourself, how do you really see yourself? No, like, literally. How would you see yourself? With a mirror, right? I mean, like, we all look in mirrors every day. In James, more of that chapter one that is fire, says that the word of God is like a mirror. And if we look in the word of God and we only hear it or we only read it and we don't do it, it says that it's like a mirror that we go up to, look at it, walk away, and we immediately forget what we look like. So the word of God is a mirror. So if we're asking God, search me, search me, we can also search him with this tool, with the word of God. And here's the crazy thing is, oh, this is, this is my temptation with a mirror <laughs> every morning. You go, oh, that is not me. Like walk up in the morning and be like, oh, puffy eyes, gray hair, that is not me. When I look in the mirror sometimes, I wanna deny. I think that sometimes if we're not careful, we can look it in the mirror and our temptation is to deny or to blame. When we make a bad choice, our temptation is to deny or to blame. Look, you don't even understand. As a child, my parents messed me up. I am the way I am because of them. That's blaming. Or, well, you don't even understand. I was in that relationship so long, and I just started to believe that that's who I was, and that's just who I am. We want to blame our bad decisions on other people, but listen, that's not what God wants us to do. God wants us to search, ask me to search me, and then he, we need to search him. And listen, the thing about this is, a lot of times we think this word of God is about God, and it is, but what I think happens is the more we read this, the more we find out who we are. That has a lot to do with our identity, because listen, if we, If we go to the word of God to find out about who we are, how does that really happen? Because when we read about how faithful he is, how good he is, how holy he is, how trustworthy he is, how loving he is, we start to realize the things that we're not. And we start to realize our proclivity to sin. And we start to realize, oh, Maybe I don't make decisions that govern the whole world. And maybe I am a little wrong. Maybe God can do a work in me. So we have to search. We have to ask him to search me and then we search him. But here's the crazy thing. So we talked about Rehoboam. And it goes on to say at the end of his life through a few more pages. That Rehoboam's life unfortunately was kind of summed up into one sentence. And it was a pretty unfortunate sentence to be exact. And that is in Second Chronicles, Here we get to the end of his life, and we see Second, I mean, Second Chronicles 12:14. It says, "He did evil because he had not set his heart on seeking the Lord." He did evil because he did not set his heart on seeking the Lord." listen, if I've learned anything in life, I know that if I don't have a clear direction of where I'm going, it's gonna be decided for me. Because we live in a world where everything and everyone is vying for my attention. And if I don't have a clear direction to where I'm going, it's gonna be decided for me. And this verse, what it's telling us is that Rehoboam faltered because he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. I think that the future we all want, if I could be really honest, because I see this day in and day out, is we're all so divided. We all want people just to get along, right? I mean, I'm like one of those avoid confrontation kind of person, like, can't we all just get along? I think that we all really want that in our heart of hearts, but that future will not happen unless we take ownership for our deception in the ways that we're wrong. And unless we, Stand outside of our echo chambers and get outside of our comfort zones. The future we all want is when we choose and set our hearts in the Lord's direction. And let me tell you how this kind of plays out in life. Maybe you're caught entangled in some feelings for someone else, but when you decide, I have set my heart to seek the Lord then what you're doing is you're saying, I will stay faithful to my spouse because I have a direction. Or I have an illness and it just weighs me down and holds me back, but I have set and I've determined in my heart to seek the Lord that even in my weaknesses and my setbacks, he's still gonna use those for his fame. That's what it looks like to set your heart on the Lord. Or I feel like I'm drowning in my parenting, all the things I'm doing wrong, but God, by golly, I'm going to set my heart to seek the Lord. I'm going to love those kids the best way I know how. I'm going to bring them into a community that teaches about who God is, and I'm going to love them the best way I know how. That's how you set your heart on the Lord. And it starts affecting your decisions one by one by one. And unfortunately, Rehoboam was kind of defined by his decision. And I was really curious because I was going back this week and looking up Rehoboam's name because in the Old Testament names meant a lot. They meant a lot today too but names given to people in the Old Testament I mean they had a weight to it. Come to find out Rehoboam's name meant he who enlarges the people. I think he did the opposite. Don't you? His namesake given to him was that he was going to enlarge the people. And with his desires, he squandered it. He lost it all. I mean, he had the kingdom set up to him on a silver platter and he went. His name meant he who enlarges the people and he did the exact opposite. And it made me think that all those people around Rehoboam probably defined him by his mistake, gave him a name, failure. How many times do we do that to ourselves? In today's world, whether you realize it or not, you're ascribing to a name. I'm Jessica, but I might ascribe to a different name, name that someone else has given me, grown up in childhood, just believing I'm one way. And if I've heard it enough, then I'm gonna start believing it about myself. Maybe you think, yeah, like you didn't know my dad. How can I change genetics? We, we take on these names and we start living under them. And the crazy thing is, is that we can let it define us, let it define our decisions. And God has more for us because in Rehoboam, even though he was defined by his decision, his name meant something else. And while our limited view saw that Rehoboam squandered what he had, he lost it all. I think God had a different plan for him because When the 12 tribes ripped in two, 10 went this way, two went with Rehoboam. In Rehoboam's line came Jesus, the name above all names. Jesus' name from Rehoboam's line, he must have thought, I'm a failure, I failed. I did the exact opposite of my name. But again, the hindsight that we get to see is that later on in the line, Jesus came out of Rehoboam and Jesus enlarges the people. So Jesus had a different plan for Rehoboam way back then. And today I wonder if God has a different plan for the name that you've been living under. Maybe the name you've been living under, you're giving way too much power to. Well, I'm a failure. I'm too much for people. I'm lost. These are all names that we put over ourselves. But today I'm speaking to you and I'm speaking over my heart that God has a different name for you. And while he gives us a specific purpose and a calling in our life as an umbrella, a banner over our lives, we can take on his name because under his name, we are God's children. Under his name, we are reconcilers, meaning we don't tear apart, we bring together. Under his name, we are peacemakers. Under his name, we are hope bringers. Under his name, we are joy-filled. Under his name, we are encouraged. Under his name, under his name. And so today, maybe you've been living under the wrong name. Maybe you've been listening to the wrong thing, the wrong internal thing, the wrong echo chamber. I don't know. Maybe you need to uproot something. Pride, jealousy, envy, anger, all these things. our our names. And it's so important, God wants each one of us to know today that the name is an important thing. And He puts it over us. And He wants us to live into that. And He wants us to make our decisions out of that. Listen, some of you here might not even know God or really care to know about God. And that's fine, I'm really glad you're here, but I do know that all of us sitting in this seat want to make good choices. We want to make good choices for us, and we want to make good choices for those around us. But we can't do that unless we kind of question some of our desires, align them with God's desires, and go forward under his name. Go ahead and stand your feet. I'm done. Maybe today, I don't know what, the Holy Spirit is, is really a, a brilliant thing because we can we can sit here and we can think oh that was me that was me and I'm sitting here thinking the same thing yep i ascribed to some of those names i need to transfer my name to a new a new title maybe that's you today maybe you today you've realized some of the echo chambers that you're finding yourself in and you want to commit to say i want to seek the lord I want to determine in my heart to seek the Lord so it changes the path and changes my destination. I don't know what it is for you today, but let's go ahead and pray. God, you are so good. You're so good to show us examples of people like Rehoboam in the Bible. And we can know that you still use them in spite of their decisions, of their mistakes. And God, here today, you are doing the same. You are choosing us, you are choosing to use us despite our failures and our mistakes because that's just who you are. You're so faithful, you're so good. Lord, I pray anybody in here who's ascribing to a name that is less than what you've called him or her would transfer their name under you. Lord, that they would declare to seek you in their heart. God, there's so much power. There's so much power in you calling us to our next step. So Lord, today, any of us on that verge of the next step, just walk with us, hold our hand, help us to be bold and courageous. Lord, we worship you. We're so thankful for you. We love you, God. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning into this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, would you take a moment and let us know? We want to connect with you and we want to be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I want to say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.